Harrell. Harrell. <laughs> now, if I say that, it's going to it's gonna stick. That's the only way I'm going to ever say your last name. How do you say your last name? <laughs> it is Harold, but almost everyone I talk to takes this weird Harold. <laughs> yeah. like, puts way too yeah, much so effort So if I just it. lazily say Harold, I'm good. You're good. Yeah. The, the most Southern, okay. no effort approach. Jake Harold, your uh, tagline on your name is even better. The Lady Gaga of Lean. Oh, I love that. It's like, it's such a good moniker. You know, you see it. It's your, how long have you had that as your LinkedIn uh, catchphrase? I've been the funniest lean guy. I've changed the funniest lean guy for about a year, but I've had the Lady Gaga of Lean for like about a month, give or take. And when I did that, John updated <laughs> his to the Justin so... Bieber of Six Sigma. Yeah, the two of you are quite the pair. Jake, where are you right now? I am at home in the, in the living room. Oh, I am in Dallas, Texas, downtown, baby. Downtown Dallas, Texas. Powerful Texas. How did you guys do with the uh, the power outage and the blizzard last year? Oh, my gosh. I've got videos to send you after this. The only problem is, so I, we were trapped for, you know, solid like nine days. The missus was stuck at home. I was stuck at work. And so I was recording videos every day of like how this actually went. And the only problem is I realized I have about 20 videos and in every single one of them, I'm singing to her. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got videos, but they're yeah. they're absolutely terrible. But oh, I'm going to make you suffer through those. Okay, yeah, you definitely send me those videos on the side. I'm going to love to see you know where you're at, where your music selection is. What I do you tend towards? I'm, I would just figure like you're a hip hop guy. You would be, or like a or like a gangster. You would rap. be mostly right. Little country, just. I something. was hoping you would never say that. Hell no. Hell so, no. <laughs> H to the end, no. I, nope. I can't do it. As a as a reformed Texan, I can't do it. Not I, even. See, I grew up in the woods. I okay. grew up in the woods. And I've got a strong test. Have you grown up in the woods? Have you ever been to the woods? I've been to the woods, yes. If, you, if you've if you really grown up in the woods, you've eaten armadillo before. That's the test. Okay, I'm not... Uh... Have not, have not eaten Boom. armadillo before. That is what you're working with right here. That is what okay. you're dealing with. Is oh. full country bumpkin... Give me some deli soup. Even where I grew up in the south side of Chicago, we still had people eating squirrel. So where I grew up, so. Squirrels are delicious, man. Don't knock it. Don't knock it, people. Don't judge. Oh, I've got a special guest whenever you're ready to introduce Yeah, let's hear your special guest. Who do you got? Oh, my God. Oh, well, where would I be without John (laughs) John Wilson Thacker? So... When he left, when yes. he left to Baltimore, he moved over fifteen hundred miles away. I took a picture of me drunk with yeah. my hair devil, naked, covered in a blanket, and I grabbed this <laughs> and I was, well, I've been cast away. John's been gone for twenty four hours, <laughs> and I kissed it like that and sent him the video, and uh, it's been a hilarious thing between us. Oh so yeah, John share that Wilson Thacker. Can we just call him Wilson for short? So I got to go JW JWT. Yeah, absolutely, just just Wilson. But I need the audience to know okay, that it's so a John, John Volleyball. John Wilson Thacker. Yeah, we won't even talk about why he abandoned you and went all the way to Baltimore. What's that about? Or why that meant that my wife and the rest of society left Dallas the day that he did, apparently. <laughs> if I'm fully cast away. <laughs> fully cast away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Welcome to the EBFC Show, the easier, better, for construction podcast. I'm your host, Felipe Engineer Manriquez. This show is all about the business of construction. Today's episode is sponsored by Bosch Refine My Site is a cloud-based construction collaboration platform that applies lean principles to enable your entire team to plan, communicate, and execute in real time. It's the digital tool that works in tandem with your last planner system process and puts it all together in one simple, collaborative ecosystem system. This easy-to-use platform is available in English, German, Spanish, Portuguese, and French and can be used on desktops, tablets, and mobile devices. According to Spencer Easton, Scheduling Manager at Oakland Construction, Refine My Site, in my opinion, is the best, leanest tool on the market for the last planet. Here's what our users have to say. We've looked at three other digital scheduling platforms and none compare to the straightforward approach Refund My Site takes. From milestone planning all the way down to daily tasks, this program gives every general contractor and their trade partners meaningful collaboration, accountability, and KPIs. Register today to try Refund My Site for free for 60 days. Today's show is also sponsored by the Lean Construction Institute. LCI is working to lead the building industry in transforming its practices and culture. Its vision is to create a healthy and thriving industry that delivers outstanding project outcomes every time for everyone. Check the show notes for more information. Now, to the show. Welcome to the show, Jake Harrell. <laughs> How was that, Jake? Harrell. <laughs> Harrell. 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 I don't think you fight with it right forever. <laughs> okay, let, me, let me try one more time. Let me try six times, and then on the seventh time, I'll get it. Welcome to the show, Jake Harrell. Mm-hmm. How was that, Jake? Was that better? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. That's, that's take no. two. Let me hear it one more time. <laughs> No, you got to tell me so I can. I can. I got to hear it. Let me watch your mouth. Harold. 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 Oh, Harold. Harold. Like think barrel. Barrel. Oh, H. thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I was. Just yeah, thank you for the. Thank you for the connection in my mind, so I could get your name better. Welcome to the show, Jake Harold. Oh, it feels so good. I, I feel like I, it's an accomplishment. Ladies and gentlemen, there have probably been like 25 takes for me to get the all the way from Spanish pronouncing Jake's last name to just other things that there is no explanation for why saying Harold is, uh, has been a challenge this uh, beautiful morning. But uh, welcome, Jake. Uh, love. I love, love, love what you're doing on LinkedIn. I think I, I actually caught i got i got swept up into into your meme game even before i realized that we had so many friends in common or realizing that uh you also hail from the independent nation of texas (laughs) so i'd like you to uh, yeah go ahead jake And then I, I'm one of the leading experts in the change <laughs> yes. industry. Yeah, Jake is very talented at titling <laughs> himself. And uh, we were talking about before the show started that 
currently he is the lady gaga of lean so it is a special honor for me to see the evolution of the funniest lean guy to the lady gaga of lean all in a short span of time so everybody buckle in you're going to be in for a treat uh at least two people are guaranteed to laugh very hard at this show and that's going to be wilson and myself can you show us uh mr wilson again there he is john wilson thacker ladies and gentlemen John Wilson, and I over-accented the nose so much, because if you know the guy, that's one thing he's self-conscious about, is he's got yeah. quite the nose. Yeah, I'm allowed to make that, that joke. That is an Look impressive at this. Uh, schnoz that you got oh, going on crap. there, Jake. Yeah, don't worry about that auto-blur. <laughs> you just, you just, the camera just went completely out, like, like Wilson just totally dominated that shot. And, I mean, it stayed crisp and clear on the nose. Maybe you back up and then come forward again. Oh, that's so beautiful. Do you love auto autofocus technology? Here we go. And it's back. Welcome back, the Lady Gaga of Lean. Yes, and we're back, ladies and gentlemen. And we're back. So I want to start off, Jake, with giving you the ability to give me a, a decently, give me a decent introduction. Tell the good people of the EBFC show, Jake, what you do now and what led you to get so obsessed with comical lean and improvement. All right. Well, if you've ever... Uh, listen to a conspiracy theory for more than five minutes, you'll know that for the Illuminati to accomplish anything, it takes tens of thousands of people to do the same task in perfect secrecy and, and agree to not tell a single soul. And that conspiracy group has never been broken ever. So I'm the guy who invented that. I'm the guy who got the rate of acceptance to 100%, got the, got the entire government all out against you without ever letting anything slip with the slightest clue yeah no and so i'm here to tell you how to do that <laughs> yeah and as true as that is like it looks like uh you've got some background you've done some lean six sigma training you have some industrial engineering training in your background as well or is it just uh all self-taught and a little bit of guided teaching towards the what we'll call the lean six sigma arts well, when I was starting my career, I was really trying to get into the industrial engineering world, but my career paced faster than my need to go to school. And I was really great at innovating at the math, at making stuff, make money, save time, work for everybody. But I found out really quick that really humans don't give a damn how good or bad their process is. They just really at the core of their soul do not. The way it makes us hear that trumpet in the night far off we're like it's 10 percent not everybody has that not everybody has that and so i found that if i can get you to smile first i can literally feed you with any other crap ever and you tend to buy it like your willpower is depleted and you're already laughing at what i'm saying which means you're accepting it and then when i introduce the deep stuff you're on board the world is good. good i love that like yeah we had jennifer on the show earlier this year we were talking about how there are many different paths to get to the top of the mountain. She is our, she's going to be the resident culture warrior. And I think we definitely have our resident comedian right here, ladies and gentlemen. The trumpet sound effect. Can I hear that trumpet, the 10% trumpet one more time? Oh, yeah. That's You've heard definitely... that at four in the morning one morning. Oh, I know you have. It definitely haunts me. And I definitely have been engaged in 10% improvements in multiple different areas. So... When the trumpet calls, Jake, I answer. I'm glad to see that I'm not alone hearing that trumpet call. 
now. Yeah, thank you, Jason Derulo, for putting that thought in our head. <laughs> yes, thank you, Jason. Unexpected gratitude. I mean, it is the, it is a day of thanks, and I want to appreciate that uh, you're taking time out of your holiday season to uh, get on camera with me and have a little bit of fun talking about topics that are near and dear to our heart. I do want to also highlight that uh, Mr. Harrell is absolutely talented author as well. Can you talk to us about Chasing Excellence, the book? I absolutely can, because it's such a beautiful space yes. in my heart. There it is. So the expo for the yeah, book the is uh, a little bit of a backstory, which I'd love to give it to you. And it started with how I met old John Thacker. So co-host, best friend, partner in crime, uh, government lizard by day. Uh, so we work for the same company uh, albeit in different warehouses and different sides of the business about five miles apart from each other and since the business had some needs to connect we ended up connecting over LinkedIn kind of meaningless connection well he posted hey I'm writing a book I would love if you actually run an operation like you're in a leadership role for you to read it and then give me some feedback so I bought his book Zoom, how to win as an operations supervisor right now, and fell in love with him pretty much immediately. So his book is just the very, very practical, pragmatic approach to, hey, here's like the four or five things that nobody taught me the first time I had to lead people. Like, you know, how to manage behavior, how to motivate, how to overcome objectives, how to actually set goals in an environment where you aren't given any. And it was beautiful. So I wrote him a big review, some good stuff, some stuff I absolutely shit on. And he liked he liked that so much. He said, come over to my warehouse and do a training on this thing. And I came over and uh, we've been married ever since. So I thought, take his book. That's beautiful. Which is very pragmatic. There's no large jargon. There's no lingo. And build on it a little bit. And so I wrote Chasing Excellence because... Everything between yourself and absolute excellence, the top of the mountain, as you phrased it, is just, there's no problems. There are only barriers between where you are now and that. So, like, I even go out of my way not to use the word problem in the book. Like, they're just barriers to excellence. Like, nothing's stopping me from getting to the top of this mountain, and here's how you do it. And so it goes through some well-understood engineering principles as well as some uh, special Jake flavor that's in a pragmatic, engaging story way. And then I also went back through, if you see the book's tiny, it's because there's no there's no fluff, there's no filler. It's a concept. No fluff. Here's a story of that concept. Here's some questions that make you reflect on that concept. And then the end of the book ends with a tool on how you can put it all together and change the way you uh, solve problems. I love that. I saw on the preview on Amazon, ladies and gentlemen, it's available widely on Amazon. And Jake, we'll put a link in the show notes so people can get their hands on it. I've seen our very own friend, the Jessinator, had a copy of your book, and he actually shared it with me yesterday, but I think he shared it after our live stream. He didn't actually share it and promote it during the live stream where it would have been, you know, more widely Son. available. I was just like, I even, I think I even commented, I'm like, man, that would have been great to share like 10 minutes ago when we were live. You know, we found that, you know, we've been doing lives together for about a month now, and we found that right at the end, we turn it off, we talk, we review, and then we say a bunch of great crap for about 30 minutes. I'm like, why couldn't we get this on the show? Like the very best of the best. Yes. Same thing happened yesterday. We <clears throat> we came off of the live, 
And uh, I think we we hung on for about another half hour, and there was some really good some nuggets dropped, and we were still uh, catching up with all the comments from the people. So I, I want to ask you, so you wrote the book, published in 2020. You met Mr. John, we'll still call him Wilson Thacker, Jr. He is a junior, right? Mm-hmm. He's a junior. He is absolutely a junior. And uh, when did you start AQP, a quality podcast? When he got the, the formal letter in the mail that the government was relocating him, um, he came over just like for dinner or whatever, like a week before he was going to move. He said, you know what? We're here. We're on your couch. We're whooping out our phones and we're doing this. And we had always sat three, four days on the porch talking about stuff, life, you know, Drugs, money, beer, women, yeah, but the woods. mostly centered around continuous improvement and like the philosophy required to have a systems approach and, you know, make stuff better for humans. And so we just decided to record it, put it out there. It was our way of whenever he left, we'd still be able to engage in some form or function, have something tying us together weekly. And that's what we've been up to. Yeah. And your, your publishing sequence is every week. Right? What day of the week does the show drop? It comes out on Sunday after John's beautiful editing work. Beautiful. Every Sunday, show comes out. I do love, there is a Halloween special with the scary intro. So, ladies and gentlemen, Felipe is a fan of a quality podcast. I do enjoy a good quality podcast. Check those out. We'll put a link in the show notes for the podcast as well. And it is, oh, oh man, it is, it's crazy to see like what kind of things you can get into on shows like a podcast and just have longer conversations about some of these topics, like the trumpet call, the 10% improvement. But I want to go back to your book for just a second, Jake. In chapter one, you start with, I think, something that a lot of people, I've mean, got a library of books over my shoulder, as you can see. And in none of those books do I see the power of what you have in your first chapter which is starting with the self. Can you unpack that chapter one just a little bit for people? Well, first off, I'm just like, let me cover up what's been, what's off camera here for a second. But I'm just in love with how you worded that, like such a glowing fan. And thank you very much for that. You're but welcome. Chapter one is called Everything is Your Fault. And it's because humans, some humans have an external locus of control. Some have an internal locus of control where they think I either happen to the world or the world happens to me. And if the world happens to you, well, guess what, buddy? You don't get to be in control of your destiny. So I go through why, even if something you could not control and is outside of your control, is at least 50% your fault and you should treat it as such and how we're always better because of that. Whereas if we're not and saying, I can't control, I can't do anything about this stuff, then we're deflecting some variety of improvement we would be able to gain. Um, also in it, in the very first page, I make sure to quote Mr. John Thacker, and he's got a phrase he loves repeating every five seconds when you talk to him, and that's, how do I get more of the outcomes I want, less of the ones I don't want, for the least possible resources? And that's generally the approach we take in the improvement community. Oh, that is some powerful stuff. People, if you're listening, that's almost worth like a, a complete recap again. Hit pause rewind and take that back in again that is one of the places that uh you just uh, just i mean right now you just my mind is expanding because i'm thinking about the many times that i try to make an improvement jake and i didn't even stop and realize am i working with people 
that think that they can change or think that change happens to them. And I think that's a, definitely going to flavor my approach on a go forward basis. So thank you for giving me that, that holiday seasoning and cheer as I answer the call to continue to improve all the time. What, uh, what got you so addicted to this continuous improvement in the first place? Let's go back to that. Cause I, I, I don't think we've heard that yet. Where do, where do you put the, the sequence of fortunate events that led you to becoming the lady? Oh, it's unfortunate for sure. Don't, don't try and tell the audience that it's, that it's a, that it's a good thing. It's a, it's a freaking terrible thing. <laughs> I stay awake at night when I watch, uh, when I watch my wife do some some regular duty in our apartment, and I go, well, what if you did it like this? <laughs> I, have to, I have to quiet that beast. <laughs> like, <laughs> you, just, you just keep that. That's all stays inner monologue. No outer dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I went to an ice cream shop once, which is actually, it's mentioned in the book, but it's paraphrased okay. not to attack anybody. Yeah. And their register is in the middle of the assembly station mm. with some ice cream over here, some equipment over here. Behind them is where the silverware is. And I'm like, work, sell, redesign, work, sell, redesign, work, sell. So the guy asked me what I did for a living and we're starting some basic conversation. And I'm like, well, <laughs> since you asked, you know, and I was explaining to him how much time he could save. And he was like, bro, I get paid minimum wage. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I thought, well, I poured all my energy and heart into this for somebody that just did not, could not care. And uh, that was a eye-opening for me. Was, yeah, you popped that, off. That with was the... one of the beginning flavors is I need to be aware of where they currently are before I even approach an improvement or else it's near meaningless, right? Right. So the good one that happened to me that really pushed me over the edge was my backstory before joining the government and the, the evil powers that be. I worked in the third party logistics space. I worked in a warehouse, large number of people on forklifts moving freight, right? And one of the things we were almost proud of doing in this warehouse was it's a million square feet. It is a gigantic warehouse. It's like 10 Walmarts back to back and uh, 500 people in it operating at the same time. And one of the things management loved was if somebody was caught sleeping in an aisle, because you take them off their equipment and you give them this long walk of shame all the way out of the building as they're fired. I know this sounds like evil, right? But then you have this proud, like, this smokey guy so fired because he slept on my shift. How dare he? So around the corner, and I find a guy sleeping in between two rows of, like, refrigerators, backed up on his lips so nobody could see him. I'm like, oh, I'm about to get this little sucker right here. And I walk up and... He's sleepy. And one of the things we require is somebody else has to watch you. You have to have like a two eyes on a thing. So nobody says, hey, you touched me or you hit me or something. And I'm waiting. I radioed for my backup or whatever. And I'm talking to him. I'm like, what would make you do this? And he told me, I have worked the past 60 days in a row on the 12-hour shifts. And I was like, what? And he said, yeah, like that's the way it's been. And I'm like, so... Like, you don't sleep and prepare for that? And he said, well, I was on nights, but work changed, you know, kind of without my permission. They said they needed more people on this 5 a.m. shift. And it's really hard for me because I've been a night owl for the past 20 years. Wow. I'm like, all right, come with me to my office. And as I'm asking him questions, 
I come to this like epiphany moment of we caused this. We did everything we possibly could to engineer somebody sleeping in this warehouse. The system produced yes. this outcome. It, it said, let's work a guy to death. Let's put him on a shift he's not, you know, he's not normally comfortable with. Let's have no sense of how we actually monitor people other than managers walking around being evil assholes. Like, and then we built aisles that have such spaces and crevasses that people could hide in them anyways. Like, let's just stop for a second. Can I walk people out the rest of my life? And I kind of took it philosophically more than just around that job. Or could we address the systems that resulted in this guy asleep on his job? And if we do that, guess what? We never have a person sleeping on the job again. Imagine in this hypothetical scenario, if every time you laid your head down, like horns blared at you. <laughs> Don't do this. Guess what? You would never have a single human being ever again sleeping on the job, right? Right. Imagine if we didn't work them to death. Imagine if we didn't work them every day. Imagine if we let them work their preferred shift. And so the systems are just a lot more effective way of getting the answers you want. And that was the light bulb moment for me. That's incredible. And I, I, I want to just encourage you because of that story alone. Jake, a lot of people in management don't have that epiphany light bulb moment to realize that the very thing that you said uh, was said by one of my mentors often, all the time, Mr. William Edwards Deming, Dr. Deming, or Ed, as he was called by his friends. Let's just refer to him as Ed. Ed used to say, like, it's not the people. And he even had uh, percentages based on his observations of working with thousands and thousands of people and teams. And he said that it's the vast majority Maybe at best, at 5%, the responsibility of the employee for the results they get, and 95%, the responsibility goes to management that set up the system that they're in. And I think, you know, when people first read that, when he first said that so many years ago, a lot of people are like, but wait. And they would try to come up with, you know, this person's just lazy or, you know, try to blame people. But it's like you said. In the scenario where people can sleep in the warehouse, I mean, you set the perfect conditions to ensure a human being would absolutely be tired and absolutely have to sleep at work. For yeah, no the only thing more we could have done was assign pillows when you clock in. <laughs> it was like, here you go, don't sleep there. <laughs> That's the only extra thing I can think of. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Absolutely. Have you uh, have you studied any uh, Deming's work, or are you a fan? Um, I'm not the largest Deming fan, so he has items that are points. But uh, I think anybody who's who's like a rationalist would see that his work, I'll be some parts are absolutely amazing, yeah. some parts not so much. He wasn't macro influential. I mean, there's no companies today that are going. Let's not have numerical goals. They're not a single successful company I know right. does that. Right. Every and, company I know. Uh, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying that business operating system couldn't work, but when you just look, I'm just talking strictly his 14 points, like quality, like it doesn't actually work in the real world. Now there's models and parts of it that are very, very useful, but it as an actual model to actually be applied doesn't, doesn't function in reality. Oh, I, I think we just triggered some Deming people like listening to the show. Cause there are, the, you know, there probably is still a few, but the 14 points that Jake's referring to are the 14 points for management. And Deming went on to explain that these points are not for companies 
outside of the U.S. These were specifically for companies in the United States to overcome what was being taught in mainstream business schools. They were setting so consistently setting up these uh, organizations that could not perform or compete on the worldwide stage. Like uh, the first point, I don't think is going to be one of contention is to think long term. I, I do have some contention there, not with the word. Oh, let's go. With, how, let's let's, how let's we, unpack that. How how we take it and apply it. So the problem is the model is centered around an infinite growth, right? Which just also isn't the world we live in. We wouldn't be killing the earth if that was the case. We go, oh, well, there's infinite resources, right? So uh, thinking long term requires also strategically, sustainably shrink where needed in every avenue possible. And we also have to do that with efficiency because anytime you shrink a company, there's there's like this fear of collapse and it can absolutely happen if done improperly. But there's silos that absolutely need that. Like I'm, I'm reaching out to people online, like thousands of people watching this. How many people do you know that their side hustle is bringing in a container of something from China and reselling it? Like a lot of people, like a lot of people. And it is something that is meaningless, like baby toys. Like they're just, well, we brought in this thing and now we're selling it, making money. Kudos to you for making money, being an entrepreneur. I respect the hustle 100%. But stop. <laughs> like as a society, like stop. <laughs> this is not sustainable for us to do for eternity. And we do need to think long term, but that does not mean infinite growth. That does not mean set the stage for a platform of infinite growth. This means strategically think about the future. I don't remember him speaking on that point, indicating what the growth would be for the, the company. It was very context specific, but there is absolutely a predominance in uh, Western management that if your company's not growing, you're dying. Mm -hmm. And you're completely right. I've heard only one executive in my lifetime say that, we were a better company at this smaller size than in this growth model we're in now. We had better margins at this smaller size than at this mar at this level where we're growing to. And it doesn't look like we're trending to better profit margins at the bigger size. We're getting more dollars just based on percentage, but we're, we're capturing less dollars of profit for that. And I, don't, I don't think that any, that's like something probably never even talked about in business school or in conference rooms and organizational meetings, or even on the back porch of the mom and pop, you know, business companies that are making their plans. You could make your plans anywhere, but how many people stop and say like, what about if our business stays at the same size, can we increase our profitability? That's, that's, I think that's only reserved for the people that hear the trumpets in the night. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's definitely, it's something that wake that wakes me up at night because there's no company aching to go, let me just cut myself in half. So my supply chain is more sustainable, like literally 0% right. of them. We're going to hit any goal. Like I'm not like a climate change evangelist, but I'm also not a denier. But if we're going to hit any reasonable goal, we make a rational goal for the direction we want the world to go. Like, guess what? Large companies are, are the main primary driver. They got to get on board with that. And it doesn't need to be inflicted like all change. It needs to come in and up. And, and up change. Ooh, that's a new one. I think we're going to have to, we'll have to get one of our friends to hashtag that in and up change. That's beautiful. Like that's in a and good out way. burger, but with change. <laughs> In and Out Burger, but everyone knows the secret menu. 
Hell I yeah. Like We're all getting an animal style change in this place. That's right. Animal style, baby. <laughs> animal style changes. <laughs> Absolutely possible for all of us. And I think that, uh, you know, the, the, like Jake's saying, this, these things are possible and see where you are. Even if you're on a, a project with a fixed contract cost and you're hiring uh, trade partners to come in and execute that work like we do in construction or in design as well, you don't have to put more people on it to accomplish your goal. There are methods. Jake, can you share one method that uh, you can unpack for the people listening to this can, in a no jargon way, put their arms around some improvement and getting closer to what Mr. Thacker says, the results, more of what you want and less of what you don't with less effort. All right. So we're going to take a jargon free construction focused approach. So regardless of trade, like you can, you can literally make up something. You can be building a marshmallow castle in the mushroom kingdom and freaking Candyland. Does not matter. Man, that's very specific. It's very specific. <laughs> like we're going, we're going to add jargon, but it's going to be candy related jargon. So everybody, okay. like, what in the hell are you even talking about? Let's so, do it. Sucrose monoglutamate. No. <laughs> <laughs> also known as MSG. Tasty. <laughs> but yeah, monosodium glutamate. Yeah. yeah. But anyways, um, the first thing is you have to realize there's an objective reality out there. Let me, let me start with that because this is a lot for humans to take in. Everybody has a 20-yard aura around them, all right? Every single human. I'm not being esoteric. I'm not saying it's what flavor of the month you are. You're an Aquarius. But this 20-yard aura is your subjective reality, the things you touch, the things you interact with. In your brain, it is imperfect. It is logically flawed. Everybody's but mine is wrong. And <laughs> that is where we absolutely live. Every human has one. And then outside of that, across the whole universe, everywhere, is a true objective reality. So let's draw that line right there. You can have okay. subjective opinions. You cannot think the world is subjective because it is not. It is an objective reality with facts and rules that it follows. And somewhere, when you come onto a job site, these two things meet. So the first thing you have to do, and it's an item I talk about in the book, but it's uh, overcome your own biases because you like to make answers because your brain is a decision-making machine. It is not a thinking machine. It is built for slow decision-making and fast decision-making, and that is it. That is literally it. Ascribe patterns, make decisions, go all of my life. That's how I survive. So in the model, you have to come to terms with objective reality. So even though we're in Candyland and dealing with BS, Physics still apply. The fundamental rules of the universe right. still apply. So we engineer the least possible travel distance. We engineer the least possible manual material handling. We engineer the least possible tool gathering. We engineer the least possible thinking to get the job done in all forms that that takes. And it's a complicated model. One of the things that impressed me with the construction industry is it's, you know, about half as productive as every other industry. Well, when you right. dig into why, everyone you ask, I'm not going to put Felipe on trial here, but everyone you ask has a different excuse for why that is. And I have the answer. So, Felipe, why is a construction industry half as effective? Oh, that's perfect. He's putting me on the spot. He's turned the tables on me. So there are, <clears throat> I mean, the, the go-to answer reason. that everyone... Everyone always gives it this one go-to answer, which is it's a disconnected, siloed industry. 
built on traditions. That's like one of the common answers. But I think from my perspective, having been in the space for a while, I think people just don't know. They're not aware of the things that they can control and that they can't and how much influence we actually have on our systems. Because I see time and time again, project teams double, triple, quadruple their profit. And then the very next job they go to, they fall right back into the system and they don't have that same success. And then I see other people can incrementally improve their profitability, reducing the effort, making jobs safer time and time again. And it's like same human beings, different system, different outcome. What do you think the answer is? So the answer, you hit on it, I'm just going to phrase it a little differently, is you have to engineer the system to have a more productive outcome. It's as, it is literally as simple as that. If the system does not, the, the, the universe, like throw a noun at me, pick a noun. A noun. A noun. Thing. Wait, let's go to stay on our candy. Can, okay, chocolate so we're bar. staying in the candy world, right? We'll stay in a chocolate, chocolate bar. That's chocolate, my noun. Chocolate specific. bar. Do you know, regardless yeah. of all the systems and processes it took to make it, to ship it, to get it to you, it is engineered by design precisely to give you exactly what you are eating as you eat that chocolate bar. Like precisely. When you walk outside and look in nature and you walk between two trees, it is engineered precisely to have those trees in that position where you can walk between the middle of them, right? Like that is just That's how perfect. the world works. And if you want to change so the outcome that you're getting, you have to change the system that engineers the outcome. Like that's just, you know, yes. how that maybe goes. So the thing with the construction industry that kills me is it's not benchmarking its own productivity in any meaningful way. Individual trade partners, large general contractors, like it's not benchmarking its own productivity. In every other industry everywhere, like that's step one. Step one. There was a gentleman that uh, gave a talk at the Design Institute, Design Build Institute of America a few years ago. I think this was 20, 2018 or 2019. And he was talking about uh, prefabrication. One of the first things that he showed was some parallel productivity charts from manufacturing, uh, retail, and also agriculture. And then he showed construction. He's, and he actually touched on in that talk that we don't benchmark against how we do. We have things like you and I were talking about uh, on the phone last week about like companies like RS Means, which give you data on what are known productivity rates. And they even give you factors for how to make an adjustment to that pr productivity rate, depending on what geographic area you are in the United States. And even with that data, we still don't like as people bidding work or people contracting work or owners putting pricing out for their things that that information is ignored and then people react after the fact to what the pricing is and then engage in exercises like value engineering which is just rework by a super fancy label value engineering it's just rework of something that you didn't want in the first place or you couldn't afford when you could have designed to exactly what you wanted for exactly the price you wanted. And there are methods that get you there borrowing from things like uh, product design, and we call them in construction now, target value delivery or target value design, where there are methods and approaches to get you to exactly where you want, where you know the owner plays a much greater role, which to me, makes total sense. Like if you're custom building something, 
or you're you're buying something's custom and you have a, a you know a, a horse in the race for how the outcome should come out you've got skin in the game you're going to be involved you know versus the the predominant contracting methodology which is design bid build where clients do some resource and requirements conversations they hire one team to do that and then they go out back out to the street to the lowest qualified design team and they they rebid the whole thing all over again and lose all of that knowledge just because they're concerned about paying the cheapest price possible and they want to take a hands-off approach i mean most of the the hard bid which is the predominant contracting model in construction hard bid lowest qualified price is a very hands-off approach and i think that's just a a misapplication of how we as consumers outside of our professional world we like to just show up to something and get something off the shelf but unfortunately outside of uh, prefabricated or heavily engineered types of building solutions we don't have that option it's all custom but you still have the ability to get involved in what outcomes you're getting you can absolutely engineer the outcomes 100 percent. i agree with jake that that's I mean the like the chocolate bar like how is it that I can buy this chocolate bar tasted in one store go to a completely different store in a completely different city by the same company even separated by thousands of miles bite into that chocolate bar and it tastes identically the same it's almost like they engineered it Jake to be it's the same like and follow <laughs> some standard it's crazy so, to think about right like the scale do you think we're just missing about? some standards do you, do you think we're, is it a standarding problem, a benchmarking? Let's unpack, let's unpack benchmarking into some, some common terms. Cause we hear people like in the Lean Enterprise Institute, Jim Womack has said many times, like one of the first places to not start is benchmarking. And he rather encourages people to start experimenting when they understand the value stream that they're in, which is takes a little bit of unpacking. We want to unpack that. For now but there are people saying don't start with benchmarking start with experiments and here you're saying start with benchmarking let me have you unpack that a little bit please yeah yeah absolutely the other way around so it's it's a argument of terms because i have actually heard that that exact argument from that exact gentleman and within that <laughs> within that his experiment requires you to guess what step one know the lead time of every single substream within the process and then play with it. And my argument is that that step is benchmarking. Like that, that's exactly all. I'm, that, that's my only argument is the first thing you require <laughs> is a benchmark. But so if I start something simple, like yeah. my John Thacker costume is a pair of sunglasses that take me 10 seconds to put on a cigar that takes me a minute to light and a hat that takes 30 seconds for me to don, right? And boom, I have my John Thacker outfit. My total lead time, 30 seconds, one minute, one minute is two minutes and 30 seconds, right? That is the right. given requirement. And it can be as complicated or as simple as that. If you have 500 streams and each stream has a different lead time, you probably need a system that tracks what those individual lead times are. But in manufacturing, they've been doing that for years. And in fact, in some integrated systems, um, this manufacturer, this cigar, can go in and change his given lead time based on today's market. He can go in and say, I can't get you that for six weeks or four weeks or three weeks from then and there. So nobody's surprised by those results. But once you have a system in place that um, you know is okay with these outcomes, 
And then you build in the strategy of everyone puts in their real lead time, and then you've got a system that spits out what that actual looks like. You have to regularly benchmark against it. What are the guys out there doing actually in the field to hit and exceed that date? And that comes with you know quite a lot of behaviorisms that leave engineering and interpsychology from there. Because once you have a clear idea of exactly how it could mathematically go, the real world doesn't follow any models, right? All models are false. Right. Some are useful. So, <laughs> you know, just the real world doesn't operate that simply. But as soon as we have a mathematical ideation of how it should go, now we can get into how do I motivate, gamify, make the objective so well known and well understood that it is a part of the value creation process. And if we integrate that all into one step, like you almost never fail. Again, manufacturing has been doing it for years. And like, if my background is from mobile in the mobile home world, in the mobile home world, we'll build 10 of those suckers a day. And now a mobile home is fully custom. You get to choose what appliances are in it, what fixtures, what the color of the walls, what the color of the out, the color of the shutters, what kind of windows you want. Every individual piece is built to suit, right? Every individual piece only delivers within 24 hours of the time that mobile home's getting built. In fact, the manufacturing size of the operation is roughly the size it takes to build 10 or so mobile homes. And they build 10 a day. So that tells you how much stuff is coming just in time on a needed schedule to get the items through. And it can be infinitely, infinitely complex or infinitely simple, and we still get it done. Every, sing, every single business day, we do not not hit whatever that goal is. And that's because we have a system and structure in place that allows you to. That is lovely. And you touched on there is a psychological component, which we don't have to unpack now because we've got to leave something for, you know, future episodes. <laughs> now, well, I'm bigger on that piece than I am the engineering piece. Not because I want to feel good and just say, it's not about math, it's about people. No, it's absolutely about math. But getting people to come to terms where the mathematical <laughs> reality is the hard part. And that requires more effort, more focus, more strategy behind it. Math just is what it is. If you're smart enough, you can, you know, that's the language of the universe, right? That's a, a, a that's, beautiful thing. That's about it. It. I've not heard that. No, and I want to thank you that uh, take you had on the benchmarking and talking, you know, breaking it down as we understand it. It's in the PDCA plan, do check adjust or plan, do check act or plan, do study act, whatever your flavor is, or the OODA loop, observe, orient, decide, act. Just knowing where you are in the world, your current state is absolutely benchmarking. If I know that I'm having supply chain issues and uh, I've got to adjust my lead times, you just do the math and figure out when to bring things, when to start things. You don't just keep going with the momentum of your system and over delivering something, knowing that you're going to have this crash later. I mean, you could do that. Mm -hmm. you could you're not coming to terms Some with reality. You're living in this bubble that you've created, right. right? You're not coming to terms with the objective reality and adjusting yourself accordingly. That's going to be the, the number one factor on whether companies survive or die. Who comes to terms with reality the fastest and adjusts accordingly? Ah, like my mentor says, Jeff Sutherland, adapt or die. Now, adapt or continue to, to continue to survive, but be kind of shitty. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we, could, we could change it to adapt or thrive, pandemic style. Yeah, there you go. But, uh, Jake, I want to ask you, because I've got uh, your brain here available to my 
my beck and call. And I feel so, so blessed to have that. Yeah. It's quite, it's quite the melon there, quite the power. There's been a lot, a lot, a lot of negative talk on just in time and supply chain issues. And since you work in the supply chain, what is your take on what the media portrays as the failure for just in time systems? I love this topic. So in my day job, which I don't advertise, it is on my LinkedIn, but it's not something I mentioned, talk about or going about. Uh, I am a project management. I'm in that role within the supply chain, like just within logistics. So we've got 40 billion containers out. We have more containers than there is water in the ocean. <laughs> like far as the eye can see, just containers. Not even anyone out there anymore. And, uh, you know, I work for the largest one on earth. So if that, if that tells you anything, but the number one thing is I agree with the just in time being the root cause. I agree, but, oh. but, and there's always, there's always a, but the, Big the null hypothesis is absolutely worse. So let's just plot it out on a map. Like it's actual data. Okay. Once every, yeah. how often is the coronavirus happening? So it's only happened once in my life, but that's anecdotal. It happens on average, a pandemic of a global scale with these types of numbers roughly happens on a cycle of 75 to 100. Yeah, so years, let's half typically. that because I'm 30 years old and I've been one. So my actual sample size is half of yours. So let's say one in 30, right? Even though it's anecdotal, sample size of one, just talking about me. Even if that was okay. the case, and every 30 years on the dot, oh, it's January 5th, time for a global pandemic, and we engineered one and threw it out into the world, right? it still would not be in anybody's best interest to prepare the global supply chain for that effect. Because what you're talking about is a year's worth of stock sitting somewhere, consuming resources to just stay around instead of being made at the point it's needed. And yeah, there's some delays once every 30 years. Are you kidding me? Can you imagine if any other industry said, yep, we've delivered on time, but once every 30 years, you might be a week or two behind. Can you imagine anybody would give a shit? Nobody would. It's just now they don't have their toilet paper or their toothbrush, and they're like, well, just in time. It's the just in time scenario. Would you rather the whole world have a billion toothbrushes just in a mega facility like five miles from your house and just smog billowing no. up into the world? Like, well, guess what? Anytime you need absolutely anything, we have a stockpile. We don't need to do that. Like that's a little overkill. Now, if we get into some catastrophic situation where I'd say the coronavirus was to, or global pandemics, not just the coronavirus, were to happen more and more and more and more frequently, we would need to adjust for that. We would absolutely want to build in a different strategy that makes a whole lot of sense. But given that it's special cause variation, uh, you don't need to spend money on special cause variation. Anybody who studies statistics will tell you that. You need to eliminate all your common cause variation. That happens every single day in the world. And then deal with special variation as it naturally rears its ugly, unfortunate, inevitable head. I love it. So you're you're on you're on definitely the side of just the time is the cat's meow of what we have right now, the best engineered way until we come up with something else when we need to, when we have some, we got to have a compelling reason. Cause there's that psychology piece coming back. Guess what? I, I love the ad absurdum approach. So what is the greatest possible way I could have something like my green tea here delivered to me? What is the greatest possible way? Is it made to order? Is it made to stock? 
Is it go and buy it from a store? Give me your, it's the year 10,000. We've accomplished every problem in the laws of physics. What is the best possible way you could deliver this to me? Oh, 10,000 years from now, man. I got to like crack. Let me dial my, I got to dial my. Uh, there are no barriers. Just put my imagination to 11. Okay. So the best possible way is instant on demand, fully custom. Guess what? That's just in time. <laughs> <laughs> there is no world you can create with your furthest wild imagination that doesn't do it just in time. Come on. You think anybody is going, you know what? Fully custom on demand in a warehouse for later. No. No. Literally nobody. <laughs> oh, my God. That was so yeah. simple. Jake, thank you so much. It has been my honor having you on the show, dropping these, these nuggets of wisdom. I need to hear about what sparked all these beautiful memes on LinkedIn uh, that you've got. And, t and, and give me one of your favorite memes, like paint a picture for people to understand what so we're talking about. So I started uh, probably 2014-ish with posting absolutely terrible stuff and like Reddit, 4chan, bottom of the internet. It was absolutely <laughs> offensive. And if anybody finds it, I'm probably canceled in today's climate. And that was getting millions of impressions and engagement. I mean, the absolute, if you can think of something terrible, like think of something evil in your life, I've made a meme about it at some point. And as my career took off, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm like, well, I really don't know how to use this. Um, you know, I fell in love. I heard the trumpets. And in the lean community, I found that everyone I knew within this space was like a stuffy old, am I allowed to say on the show, Caucasian male? Am I allowed to say that? Stuffy old. I mean, we'll even accept, we can even okay, accept okay. white mail. You I mean, stuffy we'll old white it. man. And I'm going to be that one day and I'm going to ascend to that throne at some point. But before then, I thought, what if it was actually like <laughs> in this world in the 21st century? And I said, you know what? Instead of spinning all my brain on this terrible stuff, like, what if I found a way to blend the two and have my work personality meet my dark off channel personality and just started doing it? And it was. It, it took off. Like, it's only been like a year and a half now. And I have like 300 people on there. And now I've got like 6,500, 6,600. It just memes. And as you said, if I had to pick my favorite meme, it's one nobody else liked. But it's just a picture of the Backstreet Boys. And it was like me and the guys every time there's a defect. And because it's like, tell me why. <laughs> I was like, I wish I could share this five times. And nobody interacted with it or engaged at all. And I thought, oh, man, well, there's my voice to the customer for you because the stuff that I think is funny, everybody's like, yeah. you're stupid. But as I slowly, like, find out what they like, then I can engage a little better. Yeah. I love that. Because, I mean, that meme to me is hilarious because you got, you got five people asking yeah, why. it's a five why. Like, it is a great, like, fundamental thing you can laugh about, right? Oh my God! We got to bring that meme back. Maybe the world wasn't ready for it at the time you unleashed if it, you and now ready for the they're ready boys, for it. Then... <laughs> oh, they've just ascended to the popularity throne today. They are so hot and fresh yeah. in the industry. But yeah, I think they're 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 back on the road again. Funny performing. story there. I found on LinkedIn. If I really want a meme to take off, it's got to be six months out from whatever's on Reddit today. So. It's like you have to be old in a certain level of separation from the meme community for it to actually make sense. Like if I, if I do anything that's fresh right now, if I drop a Pepe meme 
where he's like on a unicycle. Nobody on LinkedIn is going to like that. Nobody will. Like, it's that boy. But if I do some old crap, like grumpy cat shows up and it's like, don't believe me. Everybody dies and engages with it. Every old man and their mother posts it on Facebook. It's great. Oh, so okay. So we found the the yeah, my demographic formula, is the just in guys, time. Apparently, for whatever yeah. reason, that that's the demographic no, the, I'm appealing to. No, 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 no. As it's as the system currently is operating, if we're going to just benchmark, there's a six month lag from when those funny things in that other platform get yeah, funny. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a right at seven so. months. I found that if I go to Image Flip, like so, the website sorts them by time. And like the further back I go, the better the engagement will be with whatever. <laughs> like if I post like a Spider-Man No Way Home meme, those are really popular right now. It will absolutely die. It will absolutely die. But if I go on back and I post something from like the Avengers, it'll take off and soar. Like, ooh, I've seen that. I know who Thanos is. Like it's it's great. <laughs> well, you're inevitable, Jake. So thank you for that. You're going to get the last thoughts in and the last words, and we'll play out the, the music. Well, let me start with my plans for the holiday season. So I'm stranded on an island. Don't let this background fool you. It's fake. With nothing but John Wilson Thacker. So happy Thanksgiving, everybody. <laughs> I don't know why he's a, he's a creepy old woman. <laughs> happy Thanksgiving, everybody. <laughs> yeah. I've I've actually heard John Thacker Jr. speak, and he sounds yeah, nothing he, like he's that. He's cerebral, <laughs> very like gruff, matter of fact guy. He's very intense. And uh, one of my favorite stories from the recent years is I was, of course, dressed up as him for Halloween. If you haven't seen the Halloween special, I went as John Thacker for the whole weekend, and it was amazing. And on LinkedIn Live with Jesse, I started like speaking in aphorisms, which he does because he's a really intelligent guy. And I somehow correlated the problems in continuous improvement with animal husbandry. Well, that that weekend, we recorded an episode with Jennifer Lacey, who you know was in our tribe, who came on to the show, and John, who hadn't watched the live stream, mentioned animal husbandry in the conversation and related it to something. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, do weird-ass minds think alike? Or I don't know what, but I'm so in love that my impression that picked the most random thing ever, like, it absolutely hit home. It absolutely did. <laughs> uh, that that week that that happened, I'm... I'm watching my notifications and I'm seeing all these hits on animal husbandry among you guys. And I'm just like, I don't know what this is about. I don't know you if should. I should know what this is about. Let me, just, I'm just going to leave that thread on the ground. I'm not even going to pull it, but thank you for demystifying what that was all based on. Yeah. The thing with our quality podcast that's so fascinating is we do bring someone on every week, like any other podcast format. But, like, really the show is about us and you get to be an added flavor. <laughs> like, like, we'll promote whatever you want and then you'll see half the conversation we're talking at each other. But, like, I attack him for a thought that he had. <laughs> it adds an extra, like, fun sense of engagement that I really enjoyed thus far. Very special thanks to my guest. I'm Felipe Engineer Manriquez. The EBFC show is created by Felipe and produced by a passion to build easier and better. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody.
Let's go build. <laughs> 